Well, hey, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Before we get started, I want to remind you and also challenge you to take a next step and invest in your leadership in a way you're not going to find anywhere else for only 30 bucks a month. Myself, the rest of our Stay Forth team, and dozens of hungry leaders pursuing health and impact are all walking together, navigating leadership complexities together over in the Right Side Up Collective. We created this space to curate and cultivate and help leaders just like you take practical next steps towards getting healthy and reaching more impact. We have monthly group coaching calls over there with specific outside experts in the leadership space that we bring into to address current relevant, important topics that we can all apply to continue getting healthy and reaching more impact. So with that, click the link in the show notes, head over to rightsetupcollective.com and consider joining for just 30 bucks a day. It is the most practical investment you can make in your life and leadership right now. And you're going to be cared for in a way you're just not going to find anywhere else. So moving on to today's podcast episode, we actually have Steve Cuss on the podcast today. Steve just spoke to leaders in the Right Setup Collective along the topic of anxiety. Steve's a wonderful leader. He's a high-capacity leader, and he is, above all else, an anxiety expert. Now, you may wonder, what is an anxiety expert? Well, listen to today's episode, and then listen to what he talks about. As leaders, we all carry different types and forms and levels of anxiety, and they can be contagious and affect those that we lead and those that we care for. And one of the best things we can do to managing them is learning how to identify them, how to name them, and how to take steps to overcoming them. So we have a great episode for you today. And oh, yes, this episode was also one of our monthly coaching calls over in the Right Setup Collective. So if you want more of these, then come join us over in the collective. But first, enjoy today's episode of the Right Setup Leadership Podcast, where we talk to Steve Cuss about managing the different types of anxiety that you and I and other leaders can carry. Enjoy. Well, Steve, it's glad to have you here. If you would just take just a second and just intro yourself, kind of what got you into the in, into the leadership space, your context, and then really what started to get you into the lane of anxiety and, and uncovering the different types and how we all wrestle with them. Yeah, yeah, great question. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. And great to be with everyone. I'm excited just to share a little bit, but actually more excited to hear from you on, I know many of you are Stay Forth coaches, so like not just what you're wrestling with, but of course what your people mm-hmm. are wrestling with. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my leadership journey, um, I grew up unchurched, came to Christ through a local youth group, and um, was really identified as a leader in that youth group, which I've now come to see as a really dangerous thing, particularly when you're a big white guy. Um, I think this early affirmation can be deadly to soul care, but that was me. And so therefore, I went into Bible college seeing myself as this gifted leader, because that's what I was told I was. Um, And I think also just to get a little more complex, I I think until I became a Christian and started going to youth group, I just never saw myself as any worthwhile human being at all. Like I just really had a very low view of myself. I didn't feel like I fit in. So I think what happened is kind of from that youth group faith through Bible college, my, my pendulum just swung wildly into overconfidence absolutely arrogance. And, uh, you know, that was serving me very well. I was blind to the negative impact of that. But then right out of college, my first job as a trauma chaplain and a hospice chaplain, um, I just ran into like a, a brick wall of everything going on under the surface in me that was not helpful in ministry. 
It was not helpful in my own soul well-being. Um, I was I was 24 where I was first starting to see how obnoxious some of my tendencies were that I thought were spiritual gifts. So I would say that was my leadership journey. And then my introduction to anxiety was 24 years of age, walking into rooms where somebody's dying. And my job is to help them. And just suddenly realizing that I'm bankrupt. I don't have the tools that are required to really be in that holy ground because my tools were charisma, public speaking, make people laugh, like these kind of charm tools that are frankly pretty shallow. Um, and, and in the face of death, all of those tools are stripped away. Like within minutes, honestly, my very first encounter, God stripped away all that I had, all the pretense that I had depended on for years. And so what, what was left was a lot of fear in my life. Um, a lot of um, story I told myself about myself. And so that year of chaplaincy was uh, doing some deep work in uncovering that in me. Um, and so where I go with that is my, my thesis out of this whole thing is you cannot connect to God and you cannot connect to other people unless you're fully connected to yourself. Because if you're not connected to yourself, you're, you're blind to what's going on in you and how it's infecting every interaction you have, the way you relate to God. So chaplaincy really was for me, I know some of you have done this work too. It was like the fast track to dying to myself, the best thing that's ever happened to me for sure. So that I can actually get comfortable with my fears and my anxieties and, re and rest in them and let God sift them a bit. So I'll, I'll stop there, Jonathan. Obviously we could take that in a number of directions, but that's kind of my, my kind of anxiety bio, I guess you'd say. Well, you made a good point, and I think it's something that everyone can here can relate to, as there's a wide variety of leadership contexts in here, is that if you don't know yourself or spend time to know, you know, your, your strengths, your gaps, and your weaknesses, you, it is a hindrance to how well you're able to serve those you care for, whether it's in your family or whether it's in your, you know, in your career, um, it creates a gap, and you'll only ever be able to take them as far as you currently are. It definitely feels selfish. That's what I've had to overcome mm -hmm. is the idea that focusing on myself is selfless. I, my, my default, even to this day, is to not focus on myself. Like even, you know, I've been doing mm -hmm. this for 20, 25 years now. On any given day, if, if somebody asks me how I'm doing, I, I can't answer them right away. I actually need to wait and try to figure it out. So learning to notice what's going on in me and learning that that's actually a way to serve others, that that definitely took some convincing for sure. No, that's really good. So I want to segue and, and get into the meat and potatoes here. So there's different types. And from knowing you and knowing your work, there's different types of anxiety that we all can carry and that we do carry. Um, what are some of the most common types of anxiety that you see leaders across the landscape in today's culture carry with them? Yeah. Yeah. The most common type of anxiety is what's called chronic anxiety. That's a clinical term. People mm -hmm. can Google it. And it's definitely the most common anxiety that leaders and parents carry um, because it's generated by assumptions and false needs. Those are the two things that generate chronic anxiety. So if we talk about anxiety as a broad topic, you've got trauma, mm -hmm. you've got anxiety that requires psychiatric medicine, which I believe mm -hmm. is an absolute gift from God. If, mm -hmm. if you or a loved one need it, you should take it and thank God. And it's not a comment on your faith. So you've got trauma, you've got uh, 
psychiatric type anxiety. Then you've got some more sophisticated ones like, like grief is a form of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a kind of anxiety called acute anxiety, which is when you're in danger, life and death. And it's not that you're always in danger. Maybe you see a snake when you're out hiking, or maybe the car in front of you breaks hard, but your body acts like you're about to be in danger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Chronic, chronic anxiety is a particular kind. And what's interesting about it, it, it's got a few unique characteristics. It's generated by assumption. So let's say I'm a pastor. Somebody walks into my church for the first time. They come up to meet me after the sermon. They are bringing assumptions because I'm a pastor. They don't know me as Steve. They know me as this other thing called pastor. And depending on their last experience with a pastor, depends on the assumptions that they put on me. Now, if I have assumptions about myself, like, for example, I should always be there for people or uh, here's an example, guys. I did a workshop a few weeks ago and this young church planner came up to me <laughs> during a break and he said, oh, he said, uh, we had a family come to our church for the first time on Sunday and they'd moved into town from out of state and they walked up to me all excited after my sermon and they said, hey, we just got here from out of state. We were at this other church for 16 years and that preacher was the best preacher we've ever heard in our life. Now, that's an assumption. They are putting on this young fella an assumption. And that's where it gets into chronic anxiety. Out of all the anxieties, trauma, grief, chronic anxiety is the only one that's contagious. So you don't catch grief from each other. You don't catch trauma from each other. If somebody's bipolar, that doesn't mean you'll be bipolar. But chronic anxiety is contagious. And so leaders catch it from our congregants, from our staff. Of course, that also means we spread it because we have assumptions about others. Or maybe our assumption about ourself infects other people. So I think the number one challenge for leaders is to notice and name chronic anxiety um, because we're always carrying it. And the final thing I say about it, Jonathan, it acts like acute anxiety. Chronic anxiety masks itself. Mm-hmm. So even though it's based on false need, like for example, the need for everyone to like me, mm-hmm. chronic anxiety physically in my body acts like acute anxiety, like I'm in danger. So that if I'm about to be in a car crash, which takes three to five seconds, or if I had an interaction with someone and they leave angry at me, my body is acting like I'm in danger. And that's why people are burning out is because of unaddressed chronic anxiety. People think that they're burning out because of workload or COVID. COVID didn't make us anxious. It just revealed our, it just exposed our anxiety. It sort of brought everything to the surface. It just peeled back whatever coping mechanisms we had and showed that we all need to be digging deeper wells. I don't say that to make anyone feel guilty. That's just the way it was. So it's really important that leaders understand chronic anxiety so that they can be free from its grip because it competes with the gospel for sure. So, so chronic anxiety is one of the most common and it's, I would, I would, from what you're saying, it's prevalent. How, how can we identify it? So how could I identify some of the, some of my signs for chronic anxiety? I know I have it. Um, but if I was unaware, you know, or, or maybe my staff, you know, so identify it myself and my staff and to name it. And then from there, we'll move into kind of steps to overcome or, ma- or manage it. Great. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. First step is always notice it. Mm-hmm. Anxiety numbs you to its own awareness. It's, it's mm-hmm. really, it's really a suspicious animal. It actually makes you numb to its presence. So you can be anxious and not know you're anxious, especially really? people who are thinking 
that anxiety is worry. Mm-hmm. Chronic anxiety really manifests as reactivity. And so what you can be asking yourself, or those of you who coach, you can ask your, your coaching clients, you can just say, what kinds of situations and people make you reactive? And that's your chronic anxiety. Now, reactivity, it comes one or two ways. Some people get bigger when they're reactive. Some people get smaller. So the people who get bigger, they get a bit more aggressive. They interrupt people. They try. They listen to fix rather than listening to learn. But then some people get smaller. They kind of like a turtle in a shell. They stop speaking up. They, they don't say the last 15% of what they really think. They have their own secret meeting okay. after the meeting. So the way to know when you're anxious is to know when you're reactive. And, and the easiest thing, guys, is to ask people who care about you how they know you're anxious. So you uh, can just yeah. have a meeting and you can say, how do you know that I'm getting reactive before I know I'm getting reactive? That's the easiest way. Because people can often see it in you before you see it in yourself. It's like playing poker. We all have mm-hmm. tells. We all have tells and we don't think we do. We think we're bluffing. But our anxiety typically manifests to people, particularly our households. So first thing you can do is ask your people, whether it's your household or your staff. And then the second thing is you can learn to notice it showing up in your body. So when your mind just, when, when you're starting to try to worry your way to peace or think harder or your heart starts racing or your, your shoulders and your neck kind of get all clenched, that's all signs that you're in anxiety's grip, chronic anxiety. Um, so if you can learn to notice that, that's really noticing as a, as a whole category and it's not easy to do. Um, people are surprised when they learn that most leaders are slow to notice when we're anxious. We can notice it in others, but we kind of see ourselves as fairly laid back. So it's hard for us to see what makes us anxious. So that would be the first one. And then we can jump into naming. Once you've noticed that you're anxious, then you're trying to diagnose what's generating it. I think it goes back to what you said earlier, where everyone here and, and anyone who leads, well, you're you're concern for the well-being of others, whether it's, you know, leading a team to get tasks done, leading your congregation in a church ministry, leading your church planting team, and you're so focused on the things that are going forward, you, you're unaware of what's happening in yourself. So it's important to have either a trusted space or someone you can go to and say, hey, um, I'm off and I don't really know what's causing it. I think I might be having some anxious, some, you know, anxious tendencies. You know, how do you see that in me? Well, and the other thing that's interesting, particularly for those of us in local church leadership, which I know not everyone on this call is, but I think almost all of you are working with people like that. Well, I, I think we get used to the intensity of the role and we we don't notice how it's impacting us. So th- this really came to the fore for me during COVID. So there was a there was a kind of a COVID skeptic posting on Facebook, and they were trying to make the case that it's not as bad as we think, you know, and and they posted on Facebook and they said, come on now, how many people do you know had COVID? And then how many do you know died from COVID? And, you know, most of the people posting in response said, oh, I know five people that had it and I don't know anyone that died. Or I know 10 people had it and one died. Or, well, I knew like 80 people that had it and three people mm-hmm. that died from it. And so I typed, I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, just off the top of my head, 80 and the person's like, oh, there's no way you know 80. And I just realized, well, I'm a pastor. Like, I, I hear a cancer diagnosis from a member of my congregation on a Wednesday. 
Um, and I think what happens is, is the accumulation of intensity of life can really grind a pastor down. And you don't, you don't realize that our job is a bit like Costco. Everything's in bulk. Criticism mm -hmm. is in bulk. Uh, deadlines are in bulk with sermon preparation. People's tragic lives are in bulk. Marriage challenges, all of that. And so I think what happens is we focus on mission, we focus on others, and we simply don't pay attention to the impact on us. Um, and that can really, that can really hurt us. So noticing is a is almost 50% of the anxiety battle. If you can simply pause, and really pausing is that is the first step in noticing. That's that's it. Just stop what you're doing, get off the anxiety treadmill, and just try to seek the Lord and maybe some friends and say, what's going on in me? Am I well? Am I hurting? Am I anxious? Um, that's, that's a 50%. And then we, then we get to more sophisticated, which is naming. Yeah. So, so digging into that a little bit, what are different ways pausing can look like? You named two, um, you know, getting, getting some time away in solitude with the Lord and, and in having what I call trusted neutral voices in my own journey. Um, I went through and I had four people that came to mind that I reached out to and was like, Hey, I, I, this is, there's some stuff going on that I'm, that I'm wrestling with. And I would like for you to be, you know, I'd like you to be here. This is what I think it is, but I'm not really sure. And then in, in extended an invitation to enter in to say, Hey, I trust you. You know, you don't know the full scenario you can speak into and kind of show me where I think I've got some gaps. So those were kind of the two of the most common ways I see to pause or to slow down. Um, what are a couple other tips you, you might have? Yeah. And, and I, I would say just set your stopwatch for literally three minutes. Like the beauty mm -hmm. of pausing is, yeah, you can retreat and spend a couple of hours with people, but it's, if, if you can notice in your body that you're a bit hyped, that you're reactive for me, the sign for me is my mind goes faster. That's the sign that I'm getting anxious. My thinking speeds up. And then I look at deep, a deeper tool is I look at my belief systems. I believe I can worry my way to peace. Now, it's never paid off, never once. But I, I learned to notice, oh, I'm back on that. I'm the rodent on the wheel again. I'm, I'm spinning, spinning. For others of you to be a racing heart, and then for others of you to be a tightening body. But that's, that's how I pause, is if I go to bed and I'm worried about it, and I wake up and I'm already worrying about it. That's my sign. Hey, time to pause. And depending on what's going on, sometimes it's three minutes, sometimes it's phoning a friend. But but what anxiety is trying to do is keep you on the treadmill that goes nowhere. It's mm -hmm. just like, and then once you're on that treadmill, anxiety is pushing the incline button and it's handing you salt water when you're thirsty. I mean, it's really an oppressive friend. Well, um, it's, and it's hard to want to stop or it's hard to want to slow down. It's, it goes against it goes against your nature if you're if you're driven and you're always moving to get the ball moving the chain down the field um slowing down is going to go against the grain but you won't be you won't become more aware of yourself or what's going on unless you slow down and take the intentional time to understand it and i do the three minute pause actually my watch will remind me certain times a day it'll it'll have like a mindfulness thing that pops up it's like hey take a second and yeah. you know i used to joke with it but now i do it I'll, no matter where i'm at or what i'm doing i'll you know stop and take a minute and say okay where am i at what's going on you know self-assess and then say okay this is what i need to do to move forward yeah 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 that's good yeah and th there's all kinds of deeper resources with your sympathetic nervous system mm -hmm. um but but your vagal nerve your physiology 
and your spiritual well-being and your emotional health are all connected. You know, the, the Bible reminds us we're human beings, we're not brains on a stick. And and most leaders I meet, I, I think like at a deep at the deepest level, I think we don't know that we're worth the time. I think there is a self-worth issue in there. Oh, I would agree with that hundred percent. But mostly it's we we it's driven this type A mission and others focused. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps us. Um so the, yeah, those would be the simplest tools is, is ask somebody because once you know your tells, you know them forever and you can start to notice when they're showing up. Like that's for me, the spinning mind. Now that I know it, it's easier for me to notice when it's spinning. Yeah, for me, my mind races and I start jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing very fast and I quit doing one or two things to completion goes away the faster my mind starts spinning. And then from there, I get the tightening of the chest and I just feel tense and rigid. Yeah, yeah. And then because chronic anxiety is actually, it exists in your deepest belief system. Mm -hmm. And the next step is to try to diagnose what's generating it. Once you know you're anxious, notice is step one, name is step two. And Dr. Kurt Thompson is the king here. He says, we name things to tame things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's what the authors of scripture um, call repentance and confession. Um, if the problem with anxiety is if I think about it, it stays in, it has me in its grip. But if I name it out loud, there's something almost magical, almost miraculous that I'm now in control. There, there is power in naming things. Um just getting it out of your head and onto paper sometimes it's making it's that in and of itself is or even vocalizing it it's making sort of an accountability contract with yourself once you take it out of your head and bring it into real life and confess it in front of someone else or say something then it's there then it's like okay it's a weight that's left off yeah um we've hit some really good things we've talked about you know ways that most common types of anxiety um the importance of understanding that you are worth caring for yourself um, if, if you want to continue to thrive in your roles and in your life and leadership, is it, you know, whether you're, no matter where you find yourself, you have to acknowledge that you're worth caring for yourself and taking time to understand, you know, what's the reality of what you're dealing with. And you're not alone. Everyone, everyone deals with this on a certain level. And then what it looks like to pause and now the importance of naming and kind of moving forward. So let's, let's dig in and, and spend the next chunk of time on what it looks like to name and some practical ways to name and, and diagnose. Yeah. Yeah. So chronic anxiety is generated by five false needs that human beings have. We don't have all five. Most of us on this call wouldn't have all five. Some some do. By the way, when I say all five, if you have all five, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't think that you're like some terrible broken person. You're not an alien. No. And when we don't get these false needs, Mm -hmm. then it generates clinically reactivity in us okay first one's control uh that's not me i'm not a control freak i i after 16 years of leading a church i happily handed it over at christmas i'm thrilled that our new guy is doing so well um i don't need him to tank so i can be well like and i don't need him to lead my way i'm not a control freak but some people are and it can get really sophisticated you can be like maybe friends come from out of town and um and they want to eat at a certain place and you know that's not going to be a good experience and so you manipulate to eat somewhere else like control but if you're not in control you get anxious second one's perfection 
that's not me either. I'm happy to do a B minus job. Um, but some of you are raging perfectionists. You can usually tell a perfectionist because they can't take a compliment. They're always correcting you when you tell them they did something well. A perfectionist, yeah. Perfectionists have never looked at their work like in their life. They've never looked at the work and said that was well done because they're always pushing the carrot out of reach. Um, mm -hmm. The third one is knowing the answer. That's one of mine. If you put me in a room and let's say Laura asks Clarice a question, I feel compelled to answer it, even though you didn't ask me. Um, so having always having the answer. So for me, an elders meeting generates anxiety, not because the elders, they're great people. My elders are fantastic, but maybe they'll ask me something I don't know the answer to. And so I get anxious because I don't know the answer. The fourth one is being there for others. That's me as well. If somebody somewhere is hurting, I fundamentally believe I'm supposed to rush in and make it better. So these kinds of people, they kind of see themselves as strong. They say, I'm always there for others, but they never reach out for help themselves. And then the fifth one is approval. And that's me as well. So I'm the last three. I need to have the answer. I um, need to be there for people and I need people to like me. Let me mess with you with an idea. If you, if you guys scroll up the chat and look at the five attributes that I typed in, control, perfection, having the answer, you know, any of you that went to Sunday school as a kid, especially if there was flannel graph, then you get extra points. You already know the answer to this question. Like who, who is the one that's always in control? Who's perfect? Who knows everything? Who's there for people? And who gives us our approval? So chronic anxiety, it's, it's related to spiritual warfare. The very first temptation humans faced in the Garden of Eden was you can be like God. That's what mm -hmm. the tempter offered Adam and Eve. And what our chronic anxiety is trying to get us to do is be more than God ever made us to be. So God only ever expects us to be human beings. When we make mistakes, God ain't surprised. When we let people down, God ain't surprised, like, but we are not comfortable resting in Christ. We're just as humans, not good at, we're not good at being human beings. Good. We prefer human doings. You've probably heard that before. Yeah. And so what your chronic anxiety is doing is it's sending you a spiritual message. It's trying to get you to do God's job instead of your job. And so if you can figure out, okay, which of these five are mine, one of the pathways of repentance, one of the pathways to really let Romans 12, let your mind renew, is you have to bravely do the opposite. So Jonathan, if you're a perfectionist, I happen to know Jonathan, for example, you're a communications guru, then what you have to do is intentionally put spelling mistakes in your communications, oh. so much so that someone calls Alan and complains like that's oh. Yeah. Um, now those that are makes my people. that makes my insides like just immediately just start turning. Right. That's right. Those of you who love to be there for others, you've got two options. You can either let someone down or you can reach out for help this week and ask someone for help. Um, because what's, what's crazy, and you can kind of figure out all the opposites of these, like control freaks, you need to volunteer in the toddler room in church. That's the best training for control freaks. Um, because toddlers are a gift to control freaks. But what you have to discover 
is that you were actually never perfect to begin with. And you have never attained perfection because it is unattainable for humans. And so, so what, just another little aside, I'm going to throw this at you and we can explore it or move on. But for most of us, our chronic anxiety is on the shadow side of our gifts. So for example, I'm good with people. I know how to sit with someone in pain and connect to them. But the shadow side is I'm a people pleaser. Or I must, like, I must anxiously be there for you. Like being there for others, I believe it's about me. I believe it's about others, but it's really about my incessant need to be there for people. Um, and so, so if you can kind of notice the gifts that God's given you, your unique contribution to the kingdom, which I know is a lot of stay forth work. That's a lot of what you guys do. Then your chronic anxiety is just that gift taken to an unhealthy extreme. So for example, let's take Jonathan. Jonathan's very good at building websites and communications. That, that he, he does it well. That's a gift. The incessant need to do it perfectly is chronic anxiety. Um, and so that's something you guys can do or you can even work with your clients on a little bit is trying to figure out. Yeah. And then what you're trying to do is discern when have I crossed from one into the other? When have I crossed from God's pleasure? I, I serve people for God's pleasure. Oh, now I'm serving people because I need something. I need that feeling of being needed. I need to be impressive. Uh, and over time, you can you can discern. I think with the Holy Spirit's help, when you've when you've crossed the threshold, sometimes I got to say that threshold is wafer thin. Um, and you know, preaching for me has been tremendous practice for this. Am I preaching for the for the joy of God, or am I trying to get people to like me or be impressed? Or, wafer thin difference so i've always been like a lot of people like i love people like i love people and i have the same thing of needing to be there for people um i'm very empathetic and i can easy to see when someone's not in a good place and i'll want to the wanting an answer will push me to just want to be there and want to be there and want to be there and that turns into i think it's a people pleasing and I, and i've seen that in myself my gift of like okay i love people like i generally care and want to see people yeah. but then that's turned into well if i'm not there and i can't be there then then it's not good enough and then all of a sudden i'm anxious thinking well then i'm just a crappy human being yeah god got a hold of me a few years ago and i i, I don't i don't typically hear from god and i don't use this language very often but i believe god said to me okay steve i want you to give me a number an actual numerical digit of your capacity to love people. How many people can you be there for? Because my chronic anxiety says just one more. That's always my answer. However many it is, I always have room for one more. And I think God was trying to say, you're a human being with limits. And this, I, I was, I was taking from God, God's job and and basically a messiah complex and what you know the very beginning of this call what we said is if you're not aware of what's going on in you you can actually damage the people you're trying to serve if you go in incessantly needing to help people and their problem is more complex than your capacity to help them mm -hmm. you'll sometimes get mad at them you'll actually turn on those people and it's got nothing to do with them it's because you couldn't fix it you couldn't shrink their pain down to a size that you could fix mm -hmm. 
And, and so then you turn on them. And I've seen this in the helping industry. I've seen people burn out and then blame people in poverty, for example, or blame chronically needy people. They're not the problem. Um, it's the, it's the helpers that are the problem. So, so this is deep work for sure. I believe it's spiritual work and I, I don't know another way to be healthy rather than to sift through this kind of stuff. Yeah. And chronic anxiety actually puts you in a false reality. It actually infects mm -hmm. your ability to see what's really going on. So the opposite of being reactive is being calm, aware, and present. And I think that's the goal for every leader and parent calm, to aware, calm, and to be calm, aware, and present. So yeah. yeah. We, we briefly touched on this before, but I want to, this is deep. Um, yeah. And sometimes right now people could be sitting here. We, we, we named some things quickly. Um, it still could be hard to see these things in ourselves and identifying sort of the, the things that are inherently, we'll say triggers um, or the archetypes of what we, what we lean towards. What are some steps, a few first steps to take to say, you know, do we journal it? Uh, is there an exercise that we can do? Um, just to start to become more aware of those. And then how can we identify them in other people? Because it's the anxiety that we carry. But if I serve on a team, I would want to be able to equip to say, hey, I see this in you. If you'd like, you know, we can have a discussion about it. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the second question. The best way to help others is to let them self-discover the way you're self-discovering. So just ask them the questions that we're doing here, Jonathan, and then um, your job is to coach as they're self-discovering. It's pretty obnoxious and often inaccurate. It kind of has the same rules of the Enneagram. I got to say, guys, it drives me crazy when Enneagram experts say, hey, it's unethical to type other people, but let's do the Marvel movies. Like, mm -hmm. let's let's type the president. Um, I, I think it's the same here. I don't think we should be telling other people what their anxiety is, but you can absolutely say, hey, I noticed you get reactive. I get reactive too. Here's what makes me reactive. What do you think makes you, you know, you can ask open-ended questions. Okay. But for yourself, once you've noticed and named, you are well over halfway there to diffusing. Just pausing, noticing, and naming. Your next step is to use curiosity. The most powerful tool against anxiety is curiosity it just doesn't know what to do with curiosity so what you're trying to do is, is you start with the big five the control perfection and then you're trying to get from that down to a belief that you hold but it's not always easy to do that on your own you usually need help of other people so for example one belief i have is that every sermon i ever preach must be the best sermon you've ever heard that's gone from the big five broad categories of, of being there for people. But now I'm into a very specific belief. Every one of us have somewhere between a dozen and 50 false beliefs. So it's basically the question you're asking is, what do I think I need that I don't really need? And the way you know you need it is the way you act when you don't get it. So what do I think I need that when I don't get it, I get really anxious? So when my sermons are bad, I get really anxious. Oh, man, what are people going to think? Is the church going to be okay? All of these catastrophic reactions. And then what I do 
is I hunt around to try to get what I need. I, I try to make my wife lie to me and tell me it was a great sermon, you know, stuff like this. It's crazy. So what you're trying to get to the bottom of, you've got the big five, you've kind of found yourself on the big five. Now you're trying to go deeper and say, what do I think I need that I don't need? Like when, when somebody, when I'm in an elders meeting, so you, you're noticing your behavior in real time. When I'm in an elders meeting, and Amy asks me a question and I don't have the answer. What do I do? Do I lie? Do I exaggerate? Do I get defensive? Those are all signs that I'm anxious. Oh, I wonder what's going on. Then curiosity. I wonder what's going on. Oh, I think it's because I believe the lie that I, anytime somebody needs to know something, I must know it. So that's kind of the next deeper step in naming. And then by the time you've done that, now you've got something to die to because you can compare it really, quite frankly, guys, with the good news of the gospel. Like, am I believing good news right now that, that this whole church's well-being and my well-being is dependent on this sermon? That does not sound like good news. That sounds like tyranny. That sounds like slavery that leads to death. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus died to free me from having to preach every sermon amazing. Uh, and so this is deeper work. It's probably, we're probably going a bit fast for the time we have on this zoom but that's the that's the next step and i mean there was a really good exercise when we talked into limiting beliefs so it's interesting to me that this is where this came to um because we all have them and one of the one of the coaches on the state fourth team we did a he did a podcast and there was an exercise that he got to about writing the lie that you believe over here once you arrive to that so once you get to the limiting belief at the root of your um anxiety you, you would write it down and then you would give reasons why you believe it, but then the evidence of the lie and then the affirmation on the other side of it. Yeah. So that's kind of another exercise that could be brought in. So once you realize, you know, the root of my anxiety and curiosity here, what does it go back to? And this is a lie. This is why I believe it. And this is the truth of it. So that's really, that's really good. Um, and guys watching this, it's three podcast episodes ago that came out. It would be a good resource to go back and listen to and a compliment to this. Um, yeah. We so have and curiosity. Yeah, we have a similar tool. We just make a, a, a table of adjectives. Okay. And we have you describe, how would you describe the belief? So like this idea that every sermon, it's like too much pressure. It's, it's unattainable. It's absurd. And then we describe the adjectives of the gospel, like the idea that I can be free mm -hmm. to preach poorly once in a while. Oh, that's liberating. Um, yeah, so very similar to that. Yeah, but in, oh, until you think about the way you think, you're not going to change until you actually get on top of your thinking. Um, and again, and it's a process too, because you, you it's taken time to wire that way. Then you have it'll take time to unwire and relearn. Yeah, I mean, un unfortunately, you know, you can get some tremendous relief within an hour, but really, the deeper work is three months to a few years to really, mm -hmm. um, yeah, to really become unwound, unwound from the way you've always thought. Yeah. Steve, I want to thank you so much for being here. Where, if anyone's interested to connect and follow along with what you're doing and has questions, what's the best place people to follow and connect with you? Yeah, best place is stevecutswords.com. That's my website. I've got a simple PDF, five steps to lower anxiety that you can sign up for. Right now we're doing a, I'll just put the link in. We're doing a Kickstarter uh, for a 12-week journal that'll be here in August. And so Kickstarter will get the first deliveries. And it's it's a tool a week. So we've we've gone super fast on the hour, but it's eight weeks of tools and then four weeks to integrate them. 
So it's one tool. The problem with anxiety is we want everything at once, but you've got to be slow and steady. So we just drip you one tool a week, and then we give you all week on how do you notice it, put it into practice. Then weeks nine through 12, no more new tools. You're just integrating the eight tools. But you can go on Kickstarter if you want to back it. We're, we're, we've already exceeded our goal. We're almost at 200%. You, That's you, awesome. just do it, you just do it now to be the first to get a journal. This has been great, Steve. I'm, I am a huge fan of what you do. Staples is a huge fan of what you do. It's needed. And just the way that you approach the topic of anxiety amongst leaders in a way that I, I mean, I don't know of anyone else that is approaching it as practically and as clearly as you are. So I just thank you for ta- taking your time out and pouring into these folks in the room today. I just say, Jonathan, I love Stay Forth. What you and Alan are doing and the Stay Forth coaching, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be part of it. So yeah, love what you guys are doing as well. Um, guys, thanks for watching today. If you're watching this um, later, if you are in the collective, thanks for being a member of the Right Slipper Collective. If you're not and want to learn more, you can. Uh, I'll, I'll drop the link in an email follow-up from this. But thank you so much. We do these coaching calls every single month. Um, we'll be having uh, Nancy Orford next month. So be on the lookout for that scheduling date to come. I am excited about that one as well. But guys, thanks for being here. And you all have a wonderful rest of your day. So long.